0: Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Today we're going to take a look at the Revelation chapter 3 and we're going to look begin our study in verse 7. Revelation chapter 3, and we will begin reading in verse 7. This is Philadelphia. It is the youngest of all of the seven cities. And you'll notice that when he addresses the church, he is not addressing a church down on Main Street or off on Elm and Oak uh, uh, Street corner or whatever it's just the believers that live in these various cities. As a matter of fact, Attalus II, somewhere around about uh, 130, 135, uh, he went into the area, this is BC time, he went into the, uh, from Pergamos and he went and he established the city of Philadelphia. He had a brother that he loved dearly named Eumenes, spelled with an E. And so he named the city the one who loves his brother. So don't think that, well, boy, this had a Christian name. It really, in Philadelphia, does mean uh, one who loves his brother or brotherly love, but it does not have a Christian origin to it at all as a matter of fact the church of phil or the city of philadelphia was founded as a missionary outpost but again don't confuse that with christianity either it was a missionary outpost for the thinking among the greeks the greeks believed that they were right about how culture should operate They believed that they were far and away advanced uh, beyond any other civilization before them, and they believed that the world would be a better place if the world adapted the Greek culture. So they actually had missionaries, so to speak, and they would strategically locate cities sometimes just to push the Hellenistic agenda or the Greek agenda. About A.D. 17, the city was leveled by an earthquake, and most people left. As a matter of fact, they said the earthquake was so severe that tremors could be felt for years to come, and these tremors would come every day, and only a few tried to even stay in the city after that, and it says that most people moved away, and some would come back and then they would leave again for fear for their lives, which will make what God says that you will be a part of my city, Jerusalem, and you will never have to go out from it anymore. He says that in the text. It makes it all the more meaningful. So let's see what God has to say to the Christians there in Philadelphia and to the angel or the pastor, the preacher the messenger of the church in Philadelphia, write, He who is holy, who is true, and who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. And behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. And behold, I will cause those who are of the synagogue of Satan, we've met them already, who say they are Jews and are not, but they lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance. That that kind of translation from the New American Standard doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But to translate it literally, he is saying, I gave you a word. I gave you a message to make sure that you persevere, and you kept that word. So you have kept my commandment to persevere, and I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. And he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar and the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it any more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Discontent with orthodoxy started early. We should know that by now because we have ran into it in almost every church about which we have read or preached in this series. There were those who just did not believe... The words of the apostles are the words of Christ sometimes himself, and especially the words of the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, I would say this, for anyone, and there are many, who believe that this, this attack on orthodoxy, this attack on what the Bible says is a product of the scientific age, that that during the age of modernism we became more intellectual and were less likely to fall for a lot of religious jargon and myths and rumors, I would say to you that before before the church was hardly a hundred years old, you already had groups uh, like the Ebionites, The Ebionites were actually a group of Jews, and they accepted Jesus somewhat, but they never believed he was actually divine, and they never believed that he was truly the Messiah. They did believe in his miracles, but they said he received that power at his baptism. Now that's the Ebionites thinking that he's really not divine. But then you had the Docetics also about this same time. "Doka" is a Greek word for to appear, and they believed that Jesus was completely divine and not human at all. That would make the crucifixion and the resurrection impossible. But the Docetics held firmly to the Gospel of John, and they ignored most of the rest of the teachings of the Bible. And so they were on the opposite end of the Ebionites. And then you had the Marcionites. The Marcionites were a group of people that believed that the God of the Old Testament was mean. And they believed that Jesus was not him, that he was a kinder, gentler version of a God. And that the old God of the Old Testament was to be rejected. The creator of the universe, they call him a demon urge or a lesser God. And they believed that Jesus was the true God, but they did not hold to any of the teachings of the Old Testament. It was, it was just too mean. And then there was another one. Again, before the church is hardly a hundred years old. His name was Montanus, and he had two ladies that travel with him, Maximilia and Priscilla. And Maximilia and Priscilla would stand beside him, and he would get on TBN, the, the earlier versions of, of TBN. And he did. I, I'm not making this up. He preached about prosperity. He said there is an age of prosperity that is coming, and he talked about a lot of other ideas that he had, and 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 the, he had rules and things, and he kept telling people that God speaks to me, and God talks to me, and God tells me things, and we have conversations. Just last week, I saw where Jesse Duplantis. Uh, a favorite among televangelists talked about God would often ask him for advice. This man's alive right now. Some of you may watch him. You shouldn't, but you might. But Jesse Duplantis said, yeah, sometimes God will ask me. He says, do you think I should give up on this person? And he said, there's been several times that I would tell God, no, I, I, I don't think so. Let's give him another chance. And 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 God would say, okay. If you think that's a new idea, you'd be wrong. Neither of these ideas, one followed the scientific realm, the, well, we don't believe in all of the miraculous hoopla about Jesus being God and being man and resurrected from the dead. We have that today today. That followed the scientific route. The other follows the selfish route where, well, the Bible says certain things, but I've been set free from the confines of Scripture because God speaks to me directly and He gives me a word, a new word, fresh wind, fresh fire, fresh truth. And we hear that from time to time. The only reason I mention those is I think people think they're new. They call it the latter ring. Those ideas were around before the first rain. They call it scientific and they act like that now that we have lived through modernity and that we have a better understanding of how the universe works that there's no need to believe in those hacked-up myths and foolishness like that. So you have people from both camps that are, have gone to war with the teachings of the Word of God. Let, let me give you something quickly here. Uh, I shared this with the men on Wednesday night. I will share it briefly with you. But when it comes to cults, And when it comes to false teaching, we've ran into it all through these churches. Let me give you five quick characteristics of cults. And this will help you. Almost every cult will share these. Almost every false teaching will share these. One is a weak Christology. Christ may be an important part of the overall experience, but... A lot of cults believe whether or not he 's divine is really doesn 't matter whether he bodily rose or not. He at least taught us in his life how we should should live and, and, and he may not be the preeminent head of the church but 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 he wants his church to be nice like he was and And so they've reduced God, they've reduced Jesus Christ into something that's more user-friendly for them. And and they give him a consumer mentality, or their theology has a consumer mentality, which means they've made it easier to consume. A weak, weak Christology. Secondly, extra-biblical revelation. That means revelation outside of what the Bible has said. Now, there are times that God speaks to my heart, and it's not verse and chapter, but He is telling me in some way, leading me in some way to take what He has said already in His Word and apply it to my life. But when people began to claim that God spoke to me and He told me this, that, and the other, and it's not in the Bible, but this is new truth that He's given me. And God told me, be it such and such at 10.30 in the morning. I was there, and you just won't believe what happened. When you start all of that, you best be careful. We played with fire with that one. It's raised a lot of money. Exclusivity is another one. Most cults will tell you no one's right but us. No one's right but us. There are other churches out there. I remember when Cornerstone first started, there was a rumor about at that time that said, hey, Cornerstone is really growing, it's really doing well. And and it was. God was blessing us hand and fist. I mean, hand over fist, whatever that means. He was blessing us. It was awesome, and a, and a lot of good things were happening. But I remember hearing the rumor that, but Pastor Mike is not giving y'all the whole story. Oh, there's more. Our church got hit with it last Sunday. These are the kinds of things they would say. People fell out and hit the floor. People got the Holy Ghost glue all over them and couldn't move till four that evening. Uh, All kinds of things like that, that. They claimed I was not telling you. Now you just think about this. Can you imagine if I knew there was something that I could tell you that would make revival break out and just make our church explode with growth and effectiveness? Do you think I wouldn't say it? A lack of accountability is number four. A lot of these organizations, they have a head, a couple of people at At least one that pretty much runs everything. There's little known about them. You see all these people that leave here on Sunday morning with the offering. They're not all going back there so they can borrow money. I don't know if you knew that or not. (laughs) They go back there because they count money. And we have, I think, there's three different groups that count every Sunday's money. Because we want accountability. I have been the preaching teaching elder here now ever since the very first day we started. And I could not write you a check on the church's account for a single penny. And it will always be like that. The lack of accountability. And then suddenly one day disaster hits. Not enough accountability can lead to destruction. And then last of all, a control of ideas. They discourage personal Bible study. Man, I wish every person in our church came to discipleship on Sunday morning. We have some awesome classes. Classes for women. We have classes for men and women. We have some awesome studies. And on Wednesday nights, we have I've been having the men study and then the women meet on Wednesday nights. I'm telling you, there is not a one of you in here that could not benefit from all of those classes. But but let me just say this to you. If you ever get a pastor, because one of these days, I mean, you might outlive me. I know I've survived a lot so far, but one of these days, something's bound to get me. If you ever call a pastor to this church that stands in this pulpit and doesn't tell you you study the Word of God. And that the Word of God is the authority in this church and not me. And you take everything you hear from this pulpit and you weigh it against what is spoken in the Word of God. If you ever call a pastor that doesn't tell you that, fire him that Sunday. Word of God is our authority. Not Pastor Mike, or Pastor Mike, or Pastor Mike. or Pastor Bob, or Pastor Terry. Our authority is the word of God. Oh, a lot of people carry the Bible around. But they're not really looking for some smoking hot truth in there. They're waiting on what's his name to come on the TV. See what he's up to today. Oh Lord have mercy. I can just tell you, study the Word of God. We got this, we got this major Major conflict going on right now in the Southern Baptist denomination about whether or not women can be pastors. I would say this about it. Have you been waiting on me to speak into that? I will this morning. Read the Word of God. And if you want to hear God speak audibly, read it out loud. That's what I would say about that. Well, they're going through it in the early church, and I wanted you to know it didn't start with us. It didn't start because we got all smart, and it didn't start because it was some kind of movement that hit on Azusa Street at the revival in 1906 out in Los Angeles. That's where the birth of the modern charismatic movement began. It's not something that started there. It started a long time ago. People's war with orthodoxy started early. So what does God say to Philadelphia? With all the lies and all the foolishness and all the things that they can't believe and all the stuff that has gone on and the problems and the difficulties that that they've already endured, what is it that God has to say to Philadelphia three things. One, he wants to remind them of who he is. Who God is. First of all, he says, I am astounding. I struggle to find a word that could match the word he gave because he gave the word holy. Holy is a word that means extraordinary. Extraordinary. Not ordinary, not like anything else. We've used a made-up word in our in our classes here, uh, call an otherness. But God is holy, which means He is not like anything else in the world. He's He's different. It doesn't suggest He's religious or strict or. Modest or moral, it doesn't uh, apply to mystic speculations or enthusiastic fervors. It is simply means that he has a sense of otherness. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, you'll remember it, he says that there's one coming that will be born who will be a wonderful counselor. Pele is the word for wonderful, and it doesn't mean wonderful like A wonderful, cute puppy. It means wonderful in the sense that he causes wonder. When you look at him, it doesn't even make sense. He has so much power. He has so much ability. He is a God that is not limited to time. I I tell people this, that he could have gone back to World War II. He could do that today if he wanted to. And change the whole way World War II turned out and you might be thinking well no that's impossible because that's already happened I am telling you that's what makes him so wonderful he is not limited to time he is not limited to anything like we are because he is holy he's holy Muhammad can claim whatever he wants to but He's not holy in the the sense that he says he is. Because the only one that could make Muhammad holy would have been Jesus Christ. And he said Jesus Christ was a great prophet, but he never would have said he is the Son of God. And he's misled billions. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. That was the song that the seraphim saying when Isaiah and Isaiah 6 got the vision of the temple in Isaiah 40 <clears throat> verse 25 to whom then will I compare me that I should be like him says the holy one if you're going to try to say God is like good luck that's God talking he says well, who would you compare me to yeah Would you you say, boy, that'd be like all the world leaders coming together all at once? No. There is nothing and a combination of nothing that could be compared to him. Isaiah 43, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. We just have to accept. And we have to stop trying to take Jesus especially and reconfigure him into something more user-friendly or something that kind of works with our thinking. <laughs> I, I, I would say it like this, and this, th- th- this should, should make sense to us today. It's like trying to make a drag queen Out of Jesus. And what I mean by that is when you see a drag queen, everybody knows that's not a woman. And the more makeup you gob on him, the less like one he looks. And you can put him in a dress and boy, they have some really snazzy outfits (laughs) and all of that. But I want to tell you, people do the same thing to Jesus and you come up with something really ugly when you do that. There are people that have turned Jesus into little more than a hippie social warrior that came to earth seeking justice for the downtrodden. Whether he rose from the dead or not, they don't care. You're gobbing your own ideas on a holy God friend. Shouldn't do that. Others have made him, we talked about some of them earlier, a genie and a lamp. You say it the right way, come against it, pray together, agree on it and all of that. buddy. He, he's got to pop out and do whatever it is you want him to do because you've already come against it and you've already hit him with faith and you know nothing will get God up in the middle of the night like a big old wad of faith and, and you can make him do what you want him to do because you've already spoke it and now he's got to. I bet He's impressed with hearing from us all the things he has to do. Man, we are wicked. We are wicked, foolish people when we do that. And he says in Leviticus, he says, my people need to be holy because I am holy. So let's ask ourselves, Christians, I'm talking just to born, again, children of God, what's holy about us? What's holy about our marriages when our divorce rate is pretty much about the same as the rest of the world's. What's holy about that? What is holy about our gatherings sometimes in our churches? And I pray to God it's never that way here, but we can all fall into that where we make it about us and and we make it about something we like or didn't like or whatever. This place is not about me and it's not about you. It's about God. This is His house. It's not mine. What's holy about our meetings? If they're not different than anything else we do this week. I, so you weren't entertained as much here as you were at the John Wayne movie, and, I, and that's just because I hadn't been to see a movie in a while. There was a town years ago that was planning a revival. Someone who was on the planning committee decided that it would be great to put D.L. Moody's name in the pot. He was preaching and hundreds and thousands of people were coming to know the Lord. D.L. Moody was one of the greatest and most humble preachers who ever lived. The suggestion was made, let's contact Brother D.L. Moody and have him come. And he had been doing a lot of revival. Someone else on the committee It says, spoke up and said, well, I don't know why we have to get D.L. Moody. He doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. Someone else spoke up and said, yeah. But it seems like the Holy Spirit's got a monopoly on D.L. Moody. I say we ought to get him. D.L. Moody is the one who also said, We just have to be lighthouses. He said, That's the strongest witness we can have. Stand there firm, don't be moved, and shine in the dark. He says, Lighthouses don't have to blow horns. All you have to do is shine in the dark, and people can either heed your message or they can die at their own peril. Stand and shine. He is astounding, He is authentic. In verse 7, who is holy and who is true. Alethanos is the word here for true. We have another word, aletheia, which is the word for truth, as in truth versus error. Alethanos is the word true versus something that is fake or something that is not genuine, or something that is counterfeit. Now, Jesus will wind up saying here, and in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, he hadas, and I am the truth, he aletheia, and I am the life, he zoe. But here he says, I am also alethenos, I am true." And you may see a lot of gods, and boy, they had temples to everybody and his brother back then. But he says, I can tell you, you can count on this. One, I am holy, I am unlike any other god or person or thing you could imagine, and I also am the only one that is true. He says, I know you've been visited by those who are of the synagogue of Satan. He says, they say they are Jews, but they are not. They're of the synagogue of Satan. And he goes on here to say, and they are liars. I don't know why we're so afraid to say that nowadays. I I, I, I understand. I'm... I I am probably, uh, maybe I go overboard with it sometimes. But if people are preaching things that do not comply with Scripture, they are liars. He didn't say, now these Jews just have a different opinion. They came from a different cultural experience. No, he says they're liars. They're liars. Man, they're not just misguided. He said they claim to be Jews and they're not. Now how could you claim to be a Jew and not be a Jew? If you'd been circumcised and had all of the work done and all of that, how could you not be a Jew? Well, Paul helped us with that. He says not everybody who is circumcised is part of the people of God. It is those who, just like Abraham, put their faith and trust in God. And he said when Abraham did it, it was counted unto him as righteousness and when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ then he gives us his righteousness as a gift of grace so you can have all of the uh, how shall I say this ancient plastic surgery that you like and it will mean nothing it will mean nothing. We live in about the most counterfeit, untenable, self-refuting, indefensible age that I believe I've ever read about in the history of the world. We have people who say they're men, but well they are men, but they want to be women, but they don't know what a woman is. It's incredible. I know. I'm I'm not going to harp on all that today. You see it everywhere you look. We have redefined everything. Our world has picked a fight with reality. And you shall never win that one, my friend. You might as well argue with gravity. Let us know how that turns out. Astounding authentic. He says I'm authoritative. In verse 7, he said, I'm the one who opens and no one shuts. And when I shut, no one opens. He says, I actually have the keys, the key of, of David. Keys always represented authority. And he says this, I'll tell you this and move on. But he says, Christians, you might have been barred from the synagogue by the Jews. But he says, you will not be barred from the New Jerusalem. He said, because I'm going to write my name on you and I'm going to write the city's name on you and then I'm going to have a new name and I'm going to write that name on you and I don't care if every religion in the world hates you. He says, I can tell you there is another in the fire and I am him and I am the one that's holding back the sea and you put your faith and your trust in me and that will matter more than anything else in the world. Man. Jews hated Gentiles. Jews said that the Gentiles were only created so God would have something to keep the fires of hell burning. Gentiles were hopeless. The ethne, the nations, they were hopeless. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, 1, he's talking to us, Gentiles. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You weren't just a sinner, you were a dead sinner. It would be like yelling at a corpse. Ask Jesus into your life. They can't. Trust in the Lord. They can't. They're dead, they're not almost dead. It's not like it's time to call 911. No, it's time to call crows. They're dead. He said, Gentiles, that's where you were. You were sinners and you were dead. So, how much did you have to do with your salvation? Mm, I heard zero. Hey, Amen. Absolutely nothing. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. Man, two other things we'll look at quickly. I don't know why I look at my watch. I can't see it. If I could see it, I don't know if it'd matter. But who God is, what God does, we'll, we'll see, look at these a little more quickly. He does two things. He offers salvation. He says in verse 7, He said, I'm the one that holds the key of David. What in the world does that mean? Well, you go back to Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. That should be easy to remember. And you're in the middle of a story there about a guy named Shebna. And Shebna was the chief servant of King Hezekiah. And Rabshakeh, a lot of names you're throwing out here. Might want to use one for your next child. But old Rabshakeh worked for Sennacherib. And Senecherib worked for Shalah Mansar. It's a plethora. You can just keep going. But Rab came to the city of Jerusalem and told the people, this is what a crooked rascal he was. He said, Why do you put your faith and your trust in Hezekiah? He's the one that tore down your holy things. Do you think Rab who is a diehard Syrian, do you think he cares a bit about anything holy? But he's heard the rumor, and it was right, that some of the Israelites got to worship in the serpent that Moses had put on the pole while they were in the wilderness. They had kept it all of those years. And when Hezekiah found out people were worshiping the serpent instead of God, he took that most holy, don't touch it relic and broke it over his leg and threw it away. And Shaka knew, oh, there was some of y'all, you all you remember. Oh, Hezekiah was one of the ones that tore your little brass snake down. Boy, speaking of a snake. He would make a bona fide lost church member in the modern church like nobody's business. Oh, yeah, you remember what he said one time from the pulpit. You don't have a reason to hate him. Let me give you one. Well, Shebna was a servant of Hezekiah. And in the middle of all of that, pride overtook Shebna. And Shebna was replaced with Eliakim. And Eliakim became the one who had what was called the key of David. And with the key of David, because David was the first true king of the kingdom with the key of David he'll like him could let in whoever he wanted into the king's presence and he could keep out whomever he wanted that was a lot of authority God is telling his church at Philadelphia I hold the key of David and everything my father has in heaven, you can have it through me, through Jesus Christ. He holds the key to that. You don't get saved any other way. You don't have a relationship with God any other way. So when people begin to tell you, well, there are other ways, there are lots of paths, they all go up the same mountain and they all come out in the same place, that is a lie. He says, I hold the key. I hold the key of David. And the way you experience everything from God the Father, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is through Jesus Christ. He offers salvation. He offers security. He says, I will make you a pillar in my temple. Pillars, they're there to stay. I thought about something this week, and we'll move to our last point, but when we were in the old building, the old, one of the old buildings before we built this building here, one of them had been a grocery store, and so the architecture was a little different. It was, I don't know, post-baroque, sort of pre-modern something. It looked like a grocery store. Well, we had a pole right in the middle of the building. Some of y'all remember that pole. We decorated it several times. We painted it a few times. But we never took it out. You know why? Because it held up the building. (laughs) It got in the way of the camera, it got in the way of the sound team. You'd have to look around it if you were on the stage to see anything behind it. It just sat right there. We finally put the camera right beside it. We just made friends with it because it wasn't going anywhere. And we'd doll it up and put all kinds of things on it and dress it up for Christmas and, 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 and Resurrection Sunday and whatever. But that old pole stayed right there because pillars don't leave. He said, you may have been run out of every religious place you've been so far, but he says, when you become a part of the family of God, you will be a part of that forever. Forever. Last of all, what God, who God is, what God does, and what God wants. What is his desire? He tells us, verse 9. First of all, he wants to love us. He says, I have loved you. And he said, I'll make these hypocritical Jews come and bow down at your feet, and I will tell them, I will tell them that I love you. I love you. Man, that is so awesome. Sometimes as Christians, we forget how much God loves us. Think about it the next time you're afraid and you feel like God is so far away. What if that were your child? What if that was your grandchild and they were so afraid and so scared and and it might have been over nothing and, and something simple that you could explain. And, and, and boy, you know how quickly you would take that child in your arms and hold that child. Or what if there really was something there? What animal on this earth would you not fight for one of your children right now? Boy, they hadn't made one with teeth that sharp. I'm telling you. When it comes to my children and to my grandchildren, I get just plum sideways about it. Good Lord. I hope it never happens around here, but the day we have Drag Queen Day at one of our schools, I can tell you, I'm going to be there. And when I pull up and park and get out of my old truck, I'm going to drive it, I'll already be in the building. To save me from having to walk so far. I don't care. I mean, a crocodile, I'd say, look, buddy, part of your meal's already gone. Let's go for it. He wants to love us. Secondly, he wants to protect us. Kind of already been there, but he says... I will keep you in verse 10 in that hour of testing. That testing is going on right now. And we see it, do we not? It, there's a sifting that's taking place. People that used to just kind of go to church and they liked it and it was a, a neat fellowship and there were things about it that they enjoyed. Had a great program for the kids, loved that. They did upward basketball and boy, that was... hmm. That was to die for and all kinds of stuff like that. People who went to church for those reasons, if they haven't left yet, they will. Because the pressure's on, friend. The sifting has started. He wants to love us, protect us. He wants to own us. Our last point as I close. Verse 12, I'll put on you the name of my God and the city, the name of the city. Of my God. Two things he says I'll give you ownership and citizenship. You will belong to me. And you will be city or citizens of a land somewhere else. Oh, you may live here, but your citizenship what was it, Paul said? Our citizenship is for. What do you say it was, David? That's what he he said, isn't it? Paul said that one time. Our citizenship is in heaven. Wow, that's so different, man. I I live here, but I'm not a part of this place. I've been in countries all over this world that had customs and and different uh, things that they did that I couldn't do because I wasn't a citizen of that place. I've been to a bunch of places where you could have more than one wife, but I didn't dare bring a couple home with me. For a couple of reasons. The second one is it's illegal. I'm not a citizen there. People get the pout on nowadays when the church tries to distinguish itself as holy and as the people of God. You're judging, you're bigoted. You're looking down your nose at others. Listen. Others can do whatever they like. Does it mean I won't love them? Does it mean I won't light the lighthouse for them? It doesn't mean I won't tell them about Jesus. It doesn't mean I won't do anything I can to help them. But don't ask me to live like them because I can't. I cannot. He says make sure that no one takes your crown. A crown was this type of crown here, Stephanos. Stephanos was a crown that was made of a wreath, and it was given to you for finishing the race. The ones made out of the gold and the metal and the jewels was called a diadema, so it was different. He says, make sure you finish your race. Don't lose your crown before the finish line. I I thought about a few people. Esau, he lost his to Jacob. He had all the blessing and everything. He lost it to Jacob. Reuben, one of Jacob's sons, he lost his to Judah. Saul lost his, King Saul, to David. Shebna lost his to Eliakim. We mention him today. Joab and Abathar, they both lost theirs to ben Hanah and Zodok. Judas lost his place to Matthias. And the Jews, according to Romans 11, lost their place. The Gentiles. I got to tell you, it's a tough time in which we live. But it's awesome to know that we got a God It says you make sure there's three things you never forget. Make sure you understand who I am. I am true. And I am holy. Make sure you know what I bring, what I'm giving you. Make sure you know that I'm bringing salvation and it doesn't come any other way. Make sure you understand what I am all about, God says. It's tough. I I know we've been, I'm I'm maybe a little over, I don't know. I still can't see it. About 4 o'clock this morning, I had a visitor at my house. Oh, he didn't come through the door. And I actually physically didn't see him, but I know him. He's visited me before. I got up to study like I usually do. And I remember taking my glasses off this morning and just saying, God, I need your help. Man, I felt a coldness when I sat down. The words that I had in my notes that I've preached here today just meant nothing. They seemed dead. They seemed flat. My heart was heavy. I was afraid. I was scared to death. I've, I've, I've struggled with OCD. I, I, I've, I've had that for many, many years in my life. Satan knows exactly how to hit me, and I'm telling you, that's, that's who was there. So what did I do? I took my hat off, took my glasses off. I study with my hat on. I take it off when I pray. I'm religious like that. I said, God, I need your help. Please help me, God. Please help me. Man, I began to, I'm just telling you, and now you know me in the foolish business, I don't go for that. But I am telling you, the longer I prayed, the more of the presence of God I could feel. And the more peace I felt in my heart. And then in a little while, my son sends me this really cool version of an old song. The old song was, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And it was about the most beautiful rendition of that that I believe I've ever heard. Good Lord. And by the time I got to church this morning, I was fit to be tied. I had peace and joy. I just want to tell you something, friend. The test is real. Parrazo is the word here for test. It means pressure. I was asking myself this morning, what am I going to preach? I was already looking at other sermons. I thought, this this just don't feel right. Why did it feel right yesterday? Something's wrong, God. I need your help. don't forget to pray for your pastors that old Cuss knows if he can get a hold of us he can do so much damage if he can get us to compromise if he can bring fear into the life of the leaders if the under shepherd is struck down then I can tell you man he can do a lot of damage pray for your pastors because we need it boy we need a reminder sometime and maybe you did today that there's another in the fire and there's another in the water holding back the sea friend he's with you let's pray God I thank you so much for your word you've given us today I thank you God that you overcame the enemy today I thank you Father That when we are left feeling desperate and scared and alone and afraid, Lord, when our mind and heart feels empty, God, I'm so thankful, Lord, that you're there for us. And I pray for someone here today. Maybe they don't have to preach. Maybe they weren't called to do that. But God, whatever it is you've called them to do, they're scared to death. Whatever it is you've put before them, they're afraid, God. Maybe just living life itself has got the best of them. I pray, God, that you would just touch hearts. You know those that are weary and tired that just need a rest, God. Just need to be able to exhale and not have to worry about a cell phone or, or what's happening somewhere at work or any of that, God. If they could just... Finally, relax and and rest. God, I pray you'd tell us that. You promised us that. Take your yoke upon us. And you said, I will give you rest. You knew how badly we needed it. Thank you for your rest and thank you for your peace, God. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.